Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. Now, I do not believe in coincidences, and this week is uh, the holiday. I'll probably repeat this later, that in 1621, 401 years ago, we had our first Thanksgiving. One of the guys that came over on the Mayflower um, got involved with the Indians, and that's when they had their first Thanksgiving. And um, the first 11 verses of Philippians, for years, um, I would end either an email or a personal letter to whoever the Christian friend I was writing to, I would put Philippians chapter one, verses one through 11. Um, Because this is a thank you letter. Uh, This is a letter Paul wrote as a thank you letter because he had been visited by Aphrodite who had brought a gift from the Philippians. Uh, The Philippian church was generous givers despite their poverty and it helped Paul with material things several times. Uh, There's no censure or reproof from Paul towards the Philippians, his personal warmth and affection for them is evident throughout his letter. He's very impressed um, in his deep heartfelt love and hopes for them. He refers to the Philippians to whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. Now the beginning of the church of uh, Philippi, Uh, Paul visited Philippi a few times. His first was during his second missionary journey. And we'll look at that journey this morning in the book of Acts. He was compelled by a vision that God gave him. Paul traveled to Philippi in Macedonia, which would be northern Greece today. This was the first time the gospel of Jesus was being taken into Europe. As was his custom, Paul on the Sabbath would go to look for a Jewish community with the intention of sharing the gospel message. In each new city Paul traveled to, he offered the gospel to the Jews first. Uh, We find that, if you're taking notes, in Romans 1, verse 6. Paul went to the river in search for a Jewish prayer house he had uh, found um, a group of devout Jewish women and he had no hesitation sharing the message of salvation with these women. Uh, One woman named Lydia, we'll look at her story in just a little bit, was a God-fearer and a God-worshipper. She was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. Lydia accepted the message that Paul brought, and she became the first Christian convert in Europe. And it was a gal, her name was Lydia. Now the reason that there wasn't a synagogue in the city of Philippi is you have to have 10 Jewish men before you can start a synagogue. And if they didn't have the 10, then they would meet somewhere for prayer. In this case, um, the word 
was that there's these women that were meeting down by the river, and they were, that's where Paul goes and finds them, and we'll be studying that in just a bit. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna have a picture put up on the screen of the city of Philippi right now and show you a little bit of what it looks like as far as the map goes. So guys, if you can put that up. Okay, that's the ancient um, picture of what we believed it could have looked like. It's not a large city. I'll give you the dimensions of the city in a little bit. Next one, please. Uh, This is the amphitheater that is in Philippi. A very typical uh, Roman structure. I'm going to tell you about the main purpose of it being a Roman outport outpost for Rome. And um, this would be a very typical Roman amphitheater. Next one. These are some of the ancient ruins of Philippi here. Um, you can visit this today, and this is what it would look like today. Next one. Okay, here's a map, and you can see um, on Paul's second missionary journey, he made it up to Philippi, and this would have been when he ran into Lydia. And so this would be um, in northern Greece today. And um, next one, if we have any more. Again, some more ruins of the city as it would um, look like today. I don't know if we have any more or not. Nope, we don't. Okay, so Philippi was one of the major cities of Macedonia. Philippi had been a relatively wealthy city. By the way, I should have announced in the beginning that what we're really doing this morning is doing an introduction to the book, but we're still going to go through the first 11 verses. So this is more of an introduction and background to the, the book of uh, Philippians. <clears throat> um, Paul had been a relative, it had been a, a relatively wealthy city, um, situated near gold and silver mines, which in Paul's day had become almost exhausted. The city was also a, a center for agriculture. The Philippian congregation as a whole, however, was not wealthy. Philippi was a Roman colony within the province of Macedonia. In 30 BC, Octavian, later Emperor Augustus, had made Philippi into a Roman colony to commemorate the defeat of Anthony, and he distinguished it by conferring what's called the just italicum, or the privilege of being a Roman. And that's gonna come into play in our Bible study this morning. Certain rights that were given to just Roman citizens. Octavian used the city as a place to settle his veterans. Philippi's full Latin name was Colonia Augusta Philippius. As well as being governed by Roman law, the city of Philippi was modeled on Rome and laid out in similar fashion. And its style and architecture was Roman as we saw with the amphitheater. Um, the, 
we're familiar with the famous Roman roads. Uh, and this was one of the major ones that went through Philippi to Rome, formed the axis of the city. Philippi was never large, however. The city was not more than six to 800 meters from wall to wall along its east-west axis. Um, Paul's prison letters. Paul was in prison several times during his ministry, but he did not allow it to hinder his evangelical mission. In fact, his letters were a powerful evangelical tool. Paul wrote many letters to individuals and to churches while in prison. Some of these letters have made it into the New Testament. They are called the prison letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are what we call the prison letters. In other words, Paul wrote them while in prison. The early church father, Polycarp, um, whose own letter to the Philippians still survives, notes that Paul actually wrote plural letters to the Philippians. Paul's visited the Philippians again in Acts chapter 20 in the first verse um, a third time. So if you're taking notes, that would, this, what we're studying this morning is the second missionary journey, but he goes there one more time according to Acts 20 verse one and two. We cannot be sure whether Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea or Rome or even Ephesus when he wrote his letter to the Philippians. However, because Paul mentions the whole um, Roman guard in Philippians 1.13 and Caesar's household in um, Philippians 4.22, in his letter to the Philippians, it seems likely that Paul wrote this letter towards the end of his imprisonment in Rome. Paul speaks of the real threat of his execution which also seems to indicate that he was writing from Rome. There's no further appeal once someone has been tried by Caesar in Rome. Paul appealed to Caesar in his last resort and could quite possibly result in execution. Despite his situation, Paul communicates confidence and joy throughout his letter to the Philippian church. Now this morning, we will look at Paul's visit to uh, Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Uh, We're gonna talk about, I have people asking me this question all the time, they wanna know what is God's will for your life? We'll look at that this morning. And uh, we'll come back and do a verse by verse Uh, the first 11 verses, chapter one in the book of Philippians. And again, it's interesting to me, this prayer of thanksgiving just happens to fall (laughs) on the week that we're having Thanksgiving. And as I said earlier, the first one was in 1621, that's 401 years ago. Now, with that being said, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. And we will see Paul's travel. I'm gonna look at verses 11 through 15. 
And we read in verse 11 of Acts 16, saying, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Sabathras, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony, Roman colony, and we stayed in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. Ordinarily, he would go to a synagogue, but there was not 10 Jewish men, so they had no synagogue. So they were having a prayer meeting down by the river where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the woman who met them there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira which is um, the last of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, in chapter three. Uh, She was from Thyatira who worshiped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her husband were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you come to judge me to be faithful to the Lord, then come to my house and stay, and she constrained us. So, Paul goes to a prayer meeting. Um, um, Lydia and her husband evidently get saved, and um, she doesn't want Paul to go away. And so, he ends up uh, going and and staying with them. Now, we have a change of thought in verses 16 to 24. We have Paul back in the city now of Philippi, In verse 16, now it happened as he went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master much profit by fortune telling. So here we have a demon possessed girl. The demon has a spirit of divination which is the ability to tell people's fortune. And this girl followed Paul and us and and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. (laughs) I'd love to have been a flight of all in this one. But Paul became greatly annoyed and he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her And he, notice he, came out that very hour. Let me just stop and comment um, on this just a little bit. Um, Notice the demon is referred to in in the male sense. There are no female angels. There are no female demons. They're all male. He came out that very hour. And I want to take a little time about talking about familiar spirits and um, this particular gal being possessed. To do that, we need to go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. So if you flip there, I'll give you a moment to get there. The Lord is speaking to the children of Israel after on their journey to the promised land. 
And he's telling them when they get to the promised land, in chapter 18, verse 9, he says, Now when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among any of you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. They were actually offering and sacrificing uh, to Moloch uh, their children. He says, you're not going to do any of that, even though we do that today in America with abortion. Or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, I'm pointing out there's different kinds of demons, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritus, or one who calls up the dead. Uh, For all who do these things are abomination to the Lord, and because of these abomination, the Lord your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. And this diviners here is a gift that we're talking about with this gal back in Acts 16. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed you for such things. Back to Acts chapter 16. As I'm thinking this through, um, first of all, I wonder why Paul put up with it, with this woman for as long as he did. I've run into people who say, and I'm witnessing to them, and they say, well, I believe in Jesus, and, um, but I know they're not born again. And you know what I tell them? I tell them, devils believe in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus. This gal here is preaching the gospel. She says, these two guys here are proclaiming um, the way of salvation and um, that greatly annoyed Paul. Um, We have different things that have crept into the church that are also demonic that would not have been a part of Paul's time. One of them is yoga. Um, Years ago, I had a gal come up and um, was going to another church in town and and they had a Christian yoga class. And she said, me and my husband are upset with this. And I said, well, I tell you what, you go talk to her, this person who's leading the class at this well-known church in town, and tell them that that's an oxymoron. Everybody with me with an oxymoron? Um, There's no such thing as Christian yoga. If you know somebody who's practicing yoga and claim to be born again, I highly recommend Carol Matriciani, uh, who grew up in India, has the best book I've ever read on exposing um, yoga as being completely demonic. It is nothing more than the ability to channel in demonic spirits. And Carol is with uh, the Lord now, but we were friends. Um, Transcendental meditation. Uh, I used to live with one of the guys, when I first got saved, there was a bunch of us guys that lived together, 
and he was the TM instructor um, on campus in Oshkosh. And I remember trying to talk to him uh, because in TM you do certain chants and they don't tell you there's about 15 different matras. There's really no more than that. And everybody, you receive your own matra and you om it and you say it over and over again. And there's really only, I found out, only 15 different ones. Everybody thinks they have a different mantra in transcendental meditation. You don't. The mantra you're given is inciting and inviting demonic spirits to take possession of your body. As you clear your mind, you're to clear your mind, let everything go, and then just um, do your om, whatever your om is, and um, put yourself in a lotus position, you know, <laughs> and uh, what they don't tell you is that you're actually inviting demonic spirits to possess you. Some, something uh, as some people would think as innocent as a Ouija board is also doing exactly the same thing. Um, voodoo. We've got a lot of good news to tell you about the goats and we were going to do it, but um, Judy wanted to wait one more week. So we got some really good news to tell you about what the Lord is doing with that. But this is, this is so common where Bastia and the church in Carnet live. It is at the center of uh, voodoo. And um, whenever I'm down there, when you get up in the morning, you hear them. And they're out in the woods. And they'll be out, and they'll be all rummed up. And um, one particular person in that group will be singled out, and um, they go into a trance with the explicit intent to become possessed. I remember asking Bastia one time, I said, what, well, what happens when some, he took me to, to a place where the most popular place they, that these people would go to. So he took me to this cave, and I, he said, well, this, this is one of the places here. And I said, well, tell me what it's like. What happens to him? He says, well, I'll tell you just one story. He said, um, um, when the spirit comes into the person, they have supernatural strength and abilities. Remember the demon-possessed men in the land of Gadarenes that even the chains could not break? He, they could break the chains? People were afraid to go through the land of the Gadarenes because of these two men. We, you have to read all four Gospels because one of the Gospels says it's just one man, but another Gospel says, no, there was two of them that were there. And one of them says people were afraid to go by there, and the other one says that their strength was such that they could break the chains right off. So Bastia was telling me when the Spirit enters this person, they can do supernatural things. Like that tree over there, that person can climb to the top of that tree in about 10 seconds, just like that. And uh, he said one time, that really happened, but when he got to the top of the tree, the demon left the person, and now he's just a regular human being who's totally freaked out because he's way up, and he doesn't know how to get out. So... Um, Mardi Gras is um, celebrated, and Mardi, Mardi Gras is a 
actually um, celebrating voodooism. And um, Haiti is full of it. So um, here we have this woman. We left off in verse 18 where this woman is proclaiming the gospel. She has a spirit of divination. And um, uh, she was, her owners, her masters, were making a lot of money off of her. So in verse 18, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Now remember, this is a military Roman outpost. And um, it was run very much as a Roman community. So these guys that were making big bucks off this demon-possessed gal, the demon's been cast out by Paul, she doesn't have the gift anymore, and they are ticked off. And um, the verse 22, then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, I don't think anybody here has been beaten with rods, but I can imagine how painful that would be. And when they had laid many stripes on them, that means they were whipped also, commanded them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received a charge. The charge was, you better not let these guys go, because the Roman law was, if you were a Roman um, overseer of a prison, and your prisoner escaped, then they would kill you. So the chart, when it says they received the charge, the Roman guard in charge of the prison knew exactly what they were talking about. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Do you have the picture? The owners get ticked off. Their means of profit is gone. They beat them with rods. They whip them. And then they throw them in the inner prison and they uh, let the jailer know, I know in certain terms, um, they better not escape. Also, sometimes, um, oh, I've already told you that, um, about demons believing in Jesus. Um, in verses 25, and now the situation, we find them in prison, beaten up, been whipped. And verse 25 says there, uh, put yourself in your position. You're out just doing the Lord's work. What do you get for it? Well, you get beat up. You get whipped. You get thrown into prison. Uh, what would you be feeling like? What would you be going through? Would you be saying, why me, Lord? I'm just trying to do your work. Well, why are you allowing these terrible things to happen to me? Well, what was Paul and Silas's attitude? Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, there's a lot in here. This one of the songs we sang this morning. Um, I want to take some time, Lord. That one? Just to say thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. That's a Paul Clark song. Paul wrote that song. One of my favorite songs. And that's what they're doing. They could have been singing, well, I don't think they could have been singing that one, but something like it. (laughs) But they were singing and praising the Lord. For what? For getting beat up? um, For getting whipped? They said, Paul says he counted a joy to be able to experience the suffering that our Lord, one that we could identify with that. Now that was a witness. What do you mean it was a witness? Well, you see, people were listening. They knew what was going on. Now, the word in a prison gets around what, what these guys did and what they're doing, beat up, whipped up, and they're singing songs, and, they're, and it had to be a witness. Let me just stop here and make it personal application that um, people are watching you. God bless you. People are listening to you too. (laughs) And when you go through the fire, when you're spitefully spoken against because of your belief, that is going to become more and more and more. Speaking against the church. Why? Because you crazy Christians think that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we say, yeah, we believe that. Well, what about all these other religions in the world? Doesn't God love them? Yeah, God loves them. But broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there will be that find it. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. And few, few be that find it. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, yeah, so do the demons, but they're not going to heaven. All that to see this, you are not exempt from trials. Jesus told the the parable of um, the man who built his house on a rock, which is the word of God. And he says, those who hear my words, or hear a Bible study. We're having a Bible study this morning about Philippians. Those who hear my words and do them, I will liken that person to a man who built his house upon the rock. Then what does he say? Then the storm came. Oh, I thought if it became a Christian, all that stuff went away. And everything is smooth sailing from here on out. And uh, no, just the opposite is true. You will be singled out. The storms will come. But Jesus said, if you plant your house upon the word of God, it will not fall because they're built on a solid rock. The storms will come. However, a a person who hears my word and builds and doesn't hear them will be like a person who built his house on sand. And the storms came. Same storms. Christians go through storms. Non-believers go through storms. People who hear God's word and build their house on a rock, go through storms. People who don't know the Lord and uh, hear God's word but don't believe in it, the storms came and it said the house fell because it had no foundation. 
Sand does not make a very good foundation, but a solid rock does. But my point is, everybody's gonna go through storms. My point this morning is, people are gonna watch how you're handling it. Paul and Silas in jail, beaten up with stripes or in chains, and what are they doing? They're worshiping the Lord. And they're, and it says the prisoners were listening to them. Just know that people are watching you and see how you're going to handle the storms of life. Uh, how come you're not all bummed out and dragged out and going through it? And I said, well, you know, my Bible says about um, storms coming, and as long as I know Jesus, he's, he said not some things are going to work out for my good. He says all things are going to work out for my good. It's not some, but all. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. No, but I know what Jesus went through. And he said, if they did it to me, they're gonna do it to you. So we are to expect them to happen and know that you're being watched. So what happened as a result of uh, Paul and Silas singing? Well, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chain, everyone's chains were loosed. Not just Paul and Silas's. Everybody's chains fell off and the doors opened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why would he do that? Well, the Romans would have done it and he would just as soon do it himself rather than having a Roman do it. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They could have got away. He knew what happened to them. The chains were off. And they stayed there. And this guy is saying, whatever you want, whatever you got, I want it. How do I get saved? And uh, here's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because we read, um, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Now I want to comment on this verse right here. How easy it to get is it to, to become a believer? It's a matter of the heart, believing that Jesus is Lord. The thief on the cross never said the sinner's prayer, never went to church. He had no good works, he was a thief. And um, yet he says, Lord. So when he looked at Jesus who called him Lord, that means in here he was calling him Lord. And he says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. That guy you're gonna see someday in heaven. And he had nothing going for him, nothing at all. And the point that I wanna make here is is, um, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, period, adding nothing. And you and your household will be saved. I wanna clarify this a little bit. Just because mom and dad are saved, doesn't necessarily mean that your children are saved. Are you tracking with me? Maybe you're the children and mom and dad aren't saved. 
So that doesn't mean just because you're saved and you're in a family that the rest of the family is saved. Now I can testify in my own family. I remember when I got saved. Um, Dad and I used to not talk, we argued. Uh, He was a barber. And he liked flat tops with butch wax. Younger people are not getting this at all. (laughs) And I'm into the Beatles, and they had long hair. So we didn't talk, we argued. Um, I needed to get a haircut, and I said, no more butch wax and no more. You're scalped all the way around, except you got this much hair right right across here. And um, I remember when I got saved, um, it was quite a transition um, because I was a completely different person. And I would talk to my dad about knowing the Lord, being born again, being filled with the Spirit. And over time, uh, he listened. And um, one, I've told this story, I don't know how many times, so, but for you new people, I'll, I'll tell it again. All I could do is pray, because I, fathers tell their sons, sons don't tell their fathers, okay? So he made a phone call one day and got a wrong number, and he got a born-again Baptist minister on the other end of the phone, and dad said, sorry, wrong number. Wait, 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 don't hang up. You didn't get the wrong number. And he proceeded to witness to my father, and he was telling him the same things that I was telling him. And in the course of a week, he said over the phone, he said, I got one question for you. How can anybody know for sure they're going to heaven? And that became my father's life verse. Uh, These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. And for one week, this Baptist, born again Baptist minister came over and led my dad to Christ. He's very successful. He had a Wausau home franchise, offered to give it to me if I wouldn't waste my life and go to a Bible school. And um, true story, $50,000 a year, and back in 70, that was a lot of money. And um, he was in real estate, he had four barber shops in town, the first one, and we called it the Kimberly Plaza. And my dad was very, very well off, and he sold it all. And he needed to, at the age of 50 to clear his head. So he bought some land up in Pine River and me and him cleared the land, built a house. Funny part of building that house is, I remember mom coming out and dad was putting drywall up. Boy, this is really getting off track. <laughs> Dad's putting drywall up in the, in the garage and mom comes out and says, now Larry, make sure you take the key off the two by fours and don't cover it over with drywall. It's, uh, I wouldn't do anything so foolish. Well, you know what happened. <laughs> Covered the key up with drywall. <laughs> but I'm telling you all this to say he started over. And um, he wanted to work for is it called Service Master? Yeah. And um, it's a cleaning company. 
So dad moved to Eau Claire and bought a service master business because he didn't know how to serve the Lord, but this was a Christian company service for the master. So that's what, why my dad became a janitor. <laughs> and um, the rest is history. I got saved, dad got saved, then it was mom, then it was my brother Scott and Roxanne, and uh, all my family is saved except one brother who never came to the Lord. He was living the alternative lifestyle, and he knew that if he became a Christian, he would have to leave that behind, and he refused to do it. He was, a, he was the saddest person I've ever known. He took his own life. And um, we prayed for him all the time. But he, everybody has a free will. And uh, he got into it when he was very, very young. And so I'm telling some personal stuff here. But I'm telling it because at verse 31 here, it implies if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your family will be saved. Well, in my case, yeah, nine out of 10, or maybe not then, seven out of eight, of uh, all my brothers and sisters are serving the Lord to, to some, some capacity or the other. All right, verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed God with all his household. So they got baptized, they cleaned the stripes, they washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. And we find that this, in these verses here, 32 through 34, how the church got started in Philippi. One gal, Lydia, accepts the Lord. Um, Then we have the situation with them being in prison. This guy gets saved now. And now, the rest of the chapter, um, the leaders, verse 35 says, And when it was day, the magistrate set the officer saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have said, you can go free. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said, not so fast here. He said, they have beaten us openly. Uncondemned Romans. And I bet you the Roman guard's jaw dropped at that moment because you do not put a Roman in prison. There are certain rights and privileges that if you're a Roman citizen that I read about earlier, and Paul and Silas were Romans. Well, Dwight, I thought they were Jews. Well, uh, you can um, um, be brought up Um, in Wisconsin and still be a Christian or you could be brought up anywhere and still be a Christian. Paul was brought up um, in Tarsus but he was a Roman. He was still Jewish um, but he was Roman 
and they have openly condemned Romans and thrown us into prison. And now, do you think we're gonna go out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and tell us we can go free. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. We put Romans in prison and beat them with stripes, and uh, now they're in trouble. Paul, the, the prisoner, prisoner said, you can go. Paul says, we're not going anywhere. You go get your bosses. You tell them we're Romans, and we've been beaten. You have them come down and tell us. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them, would you please go <laughs> and depart from the city? And so they went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen them, departed, and they encouraged them as they departed. Turn over to Acts 20. Um, we have here the beginning of the church. And verse 40, we have... Um, um, the birth of the church of Philippi. In Acts 20, verse one and two, this is now Paul's third missionary journey. Um, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to him, embraced them, and departed to Macedonia. All right, this is where Philippi would have been. And when he had gone over the region, which meant he would have visited Philippi, he encouraged them with many words, and then he came to Greece. So, Let's go back to Philippians and look at these 11 verses. And the first thing that caught my attention in, verses, in verse one here is as Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to the saints, plural, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Well, from one woman to the jailer, and as time went on, it grew to the point that they had elders, bishops, and deacons. They had deacons in the early church because there were so many people that a deacon's job, in Stephen's case, was to take care of setting the tables. So we have a, um, um, a church with leadership involved with it, and um, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, my God, upon every remembrance of you. As I read this through, keep in mind that this is when I would send an email or a letter that I would usually close it, Philippians chapter one, verses one to 11. I personally wanna say to something to this brother or sister, and this is, when I read this for the first time, I said, what a great way to end a letter and send it to one of your friends. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel, for the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's why we sang this song this morning. 
He who began a good work in you. And don't worry, I won't sing no more. But that's where the song comes from. Just that it is right for me to think this of you because I've put you in my heart. And um, you know, we got a love thing going on at Men's Prayer. I know these guys. They know me. I know what they're going through. I know what to pray for them for. And um, we are one. We're one, and we have that one thing in common that we're saved sinners, and we're just thankful. We're just plain thankful because of God's grace. Because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, uh, you are my partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere, without offense, till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. As we close this up this morning, I said um, a question I get asked often is I don't know what God's will is for my life. And will you pray for me that I might know what God's will is for my life? I'm gonna have, we're gonna turn to two places. One is 1 Thessalonians chapter five. And we're gonna answer that question this morning. This Thanksgiving weekend and being thankful. And what is God's will for your life? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says, in everything, give thanks. Now, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is God's will for your life? Let you be thankful. Just be thankful. That's it? Yeah. Just be thankful. That's God's will for your life to be grateful. And when you think about where we could be going, we can, when, we could, when we think about how we would respond when we go through difficult times and we have peace instead, and we realize that there's nothing that we can add to the finished work except what Paul said to the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, period. That's it. Now what that does is it takes me out of the equation, it takes you out of the equation, and as a result of that, you've been given a gift. Now when somebody gives you a gift, what do you usually say? You say, thank you. That's what the Lord is wanting from you, nothing more, because he's done it all. And all we can do is have this appreciation. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And it's a common denominator that makes Christians one because we all, all have sinned, no exceptions. If you ask most people, are you going to heaven? Well, yeah. Well, why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. I'm better than that person. Well, maybe I'm not as good as this person. And they think God judges on a curve, <laughs> and he does not. 
All have sinned. And the word all in the Greek, you know what it means? <laughs> it means all. We are all the same. And nobody is better than anybody else in the eyes of God. Not the thief on the cross or anybody else. And so what does he require? What's God's will for your life? That you're grateful. And you let that gratitude be shown even when you're going through the storm. Why? Because people are listening and people are watching. We'll close with Psalm 18, verses 46 to 50. We've just gone through the Psalms, all 150 of them this morning. Well, just what, 150th this morning. And there's different kinds of Psalms. There's Psalms that are calling out for deliverance. There's songs of um, messianic Psalms, like Psalm 22. And then we have praise Psalms. I'm gonna look at uh, verses 46 through 50 in closing this morning. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, building my house on. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. He also lifts me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and to his inheritance, to you and to me forever. Amen and amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, as we take this introductory look uh, into the book of Philippians, we see that through the simple witnessing to a woman named Lydia and um, being willing to um, be despised and rejected and beaten and thrown in prison, to still have this attitude of gratitude and um, um, counting it all joy by singing and, and praying. Lord, help us learn that the perfect will for our life is one thing, and that is to be grateful that we say thank you to you for the gift of eternal life, that you have given us this gift, and when we receive that gift, Lord, we just wanna say thank you. And so we do this morning, on this Thanksgiving Day weekend, um, we know who to give thanks to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.